Good morning. Uh, it is awesome to be here with you guys this morning. Such a privilege. My name is Annie Wilson. It was at a time Carbonero, which does have a little more maybe flair. No offense, Kyle. Still love Wilson. But um, I'm our elementary ministry director. So I work with our first through fifth graders. I am a part of the Three Crosses Kids team, and I love it. Um, but I also really love Celebration Sundays. You've heard it a few times already this morning. There's something special about it. This opportunity to pause in our regular rhythm of Sunday services and just hear about how God is moving among us, bringing in literal new life and also the new life that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in people. And we hear their stories and it's encouraging and hopefully you walk out these doors encouraged. But the truth is, as you walked in, that might not be the space or season that you're living in. You might be in a season that seems to kind of be dragging on and you don't remember the last time you saw God move, let alone do something transformative in your life. And you're wondering when he's going to. And you're going to hear stories and they seem so big and you're thinking, my story doesn't sound like that. My story doesn't have those kinds of moments. Each of our stories, though, are these incredible gifts that God has given us. Hindsight, if you will. My mom always said, hindsight's 100% or hindsight is 20-20. It took me way too long to figure out she meant the exact same thing either way. But being able to look back at your life and suddenly twist and turns and moments that were low, they start to have different meaning because you can see how God used them. You also can look back and know there were those big moments that God was using you to bring you where you are today here in this morning. For me, I can look back and know going to camp when I was nine and giving my life to the Lord, going to Omega for high school ministry, choosing to go to Biola University, ending up at a missions meeting, choosing to turn in an application to go on a missions trip to Ukraine, in the end, moving to Ukraine. I spent seven and a half years as a missionary in Ukraine, and I had tons of amazing moments a lot of super low moments, crazy in-betweens. And you would think coming back from something like that, you come back with this fervor, ready to face anything. But in truth, when I came back, you probably could have found me crying on the living room floor. I like to cry on the floor because it feels really dramatic, and I need people to know how sad I am about it. So I'd be crying because suddenly, I'm supposed to get a job. And things I did in Ukraine don't translate on a resume. They suddenly didn't mean anything. No, no way am I going to be able to get a job. What am I going to do with my life? It was as if God's hand of faithfulness in the past disappeared, and all I could see was what was right in front of me. When times are hard, we become incredibly short-sighted. Our memories are prone to forgetfulness. It's funny that we want to sit and rely on our memories for God's faithfulness, when in truth, I walk into a room and don't remember why I went in there. I don't know if that happens to you or you start an email and you think, wait, who was I writing this email to again? But somehow we're going to remember all that God has done. And then God gives us this incredible gift of his word. The full story, the full picture, complete hindsight into what his plan was, how he sent his son, what Jesus Christ did on the cross every great gift, his resurrection, that we can have salvation through Christ. But it's hard to remember those big truths when things are a little more difficult. 
I want us to look today at the example of the Israelites. We're going to be specifically in Joshua chapter 4, but in order to understand the significance of Joshua chapter 4, we have to backtrack a bit into the Israelites' story. That hindsight gives an important glimpse. The Israelites are brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, through miracles. They go through the Red Sea on dry land. That seems like a really unforgettable moment that would lead you to have faith that could move mountains. But for the Israelites, within a few days, they're hungry and they're struggling and they're complaining. God feeds them. It takes them just a little while again to be complaining. Things were better in Egypt. It was better as slaves. What are you doing, Lord? The Israelites had this cycle, mountaintop amazing moments. Then you start to get back to regular life. That moment is kind of gone and forgotten, and you keep going with regular things, and then something bad happens. And there's no way you're even looking back at that moment at all. All you can see is the heart, and then the Israelites would cry out to God, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? You've forgotten us. He'd help them. They'd be back on the mountain to start that cycle again. And that continued until they reached the promised land. And they look at the promised land, and even after everything God had done to bring them there, they look at it, and they look at the people living there, and they say, nah, we can't take it. God has promised that land to us, but there's no way he's going to fulfill this one. And as a result, they spend 40 years wandering in the desert. You want to talk about a season of waiting, a season of longing and of struggle. And so they have to wait to ever get back to the promised land. Most of them would never actually get to enter the promised land. Moses has passed away. Joshua is now leading at the helm, and he is a man of faith. And as they go to finally, after 40 years, enter the promised land, the water of the Jordan River is just overflowing completely, and they can't get across. But God fulfills his promises and performs another miracle. As they walk across with the Ark of the Covenant, the waters separate, and they walk across on dry land. God, in all his intentionality and his story writing, he puts these two parallel miracles as the bookends of this incredible journey. And the Israelites get across, and it's this amazing moment. And in Joshua chapter 4, this is the moment when they're crossing the Jordan River in verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So you've just finally entered the promised land, but don't think about what's next. Go grab some rocks. Which to us, why do, why do they need to get rocks? Well, it doesn't matter to Joshua. He follows the instructions. And in verses 4 and 5, he follows through with what God asked him to do. And we look at verse 6. This is the answer as to why God needed them to get these stones. It says, This will serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God needed the Israelites to have an actual physical reminder. A moment that seemed so miraculous that they could never forget it needed an actual pillar of stones so that they couldn't deny what God had done. Because the truth is, mountaintop moments sometimes feel short-lived. 
It's the in-between and the lower moments that seem to go on so much longer. And so the Israelites were prone to forgetfulness. They needed something, and they couldn't just be any stones from anywhere. They needed to be actual stones from the middle of the river because they would be smooth, they would be different, they would be undeniable. It would be a legacy. It would cause people to see it and say, oh, that's right, God fulfills his promises. We are no different than this. In these moments, when we have mountaintop moments, we think we're gonna remember everything. But in truth, those moments are gone and things get hard and it's forgotten. For me, there was a mountaintop moment in Ukraine. I was there and we were visiting one of our kids in prison. Uh, he was in a juvenile prison. And it was really miraculous that we got to visit him. No one understood how we had this document saying that we were his family visitors, but we had gotten it and we got to visit him. And it was a special weekend where it was family presentation weekend. So they did break dancing, we got our regular visit, we got another visit, we got to have a meal with him. Our relationship with the prison warden had come so far with all the, the prison guards. And it was just one of those moments when you're sitting there after it's done thinking, ah, I will never forget this. We're eating our weird ice cream in Ukraine. It doesn't melt, which I don't understand. And then our really fancy Nescafe instant coffee in a plastic cup. And I just remember saying to my team, I feel like we need to remember this moment because we don't know what tomorrow holds. In Ukraine, that was the expected. You had to know things weren't going to go the way you planned. And so I get back on the train, heading back to our city. It was a 26-hour train ride, so trains still make me want to twitch. But I'm back on the train writing just all the things that God had done to bring about that moment because I didn't want to forget it. We don't want to forget our good moments, so you're out there and you take pictures on that family vacation because you don't want to forget it. You don't want to forget where you've been, and so you get souvenirs and you bring things with you. But for some reason, when it comes to God's incredible faithfulness, we lack intentionality. We have no intentionality to remember what he's done and the great things he's placed in our lives. We rely on our memories. You don't rely on your memory in much else, or at least I don't. It's lists. Maybe you're a post-it note person and you put them everywhere. You have alarms on your phone to remember everything that's coming up next and where you need to be. Calendars, reminders, and even still we forget. And yet we don't take the time to place pillars in our lives to have a rhythm of remembrance of what God has done. As a church family, we pause to celebrate new life. That helps us remember God is moving among us. We pause and we take communion to remember that what Jesus did on the cross. You come in on Sunday, so you've got rhythms in your lives. This isn't looking to be another to-do to add to a list and something else you need to do, but instead something encouraging that can truly transform how you face the future. When suddenly you have a legacy of what God has done, it transforms how you look at what he's doing right now because the story isn't finished. What does that look like, though? As I just want to challenge you to really think in your life, how can you bring this in? What the Israelites needed, God knew that they needed to change the cycle we also need. My professor in college had this really neat tradition with his family where they'd cut off the end of their Christmas tree and they'd write down all the things God had done that year. And then they'd bring out their old box of Christmas tree ends and read back through it. Wow, remember when God did this? And they'd be reminded of the times that God did something else. For my husband and I, we have our own little tradition in this white book. On New Year's Day, rather than looking ahead and creating a lot of goals and what we want to accomplish, we take the day to look at what God did in the year past. 
And it's amazing as you look at it that even the really hard moments, suddenly you can see how God was there. It changes how that moment, being in the moment, felt now that you can see outside of it. That hindsight comes a little clearer. And you start to write those things down, and suddenly I'm left so encouraged by the waiting we might be in right now because what's the story that's going to play out in five years, in 10 years? Now, when that moment on the train, as I'm writing all those things down, I get a phone call from the orphanage director. And she wanted to let me know that that summer camp we were two weeks out from having, it's canceled. And not only that, something took place and no foreign organization was going to be allowed in to the orphanage at all. Now I want to say, because I took documentation, I faced that moment fearlessly, but instead you would have found me on the floor per my typical crying posture because I felt like it was over. Some story was done. My heart was ripped out of my chest. Now I have the opportunity to look back with that hindsight and see how God used a really hard time of not being able to do the very thing I loved in Ukraine to build new ministry. Within years, where it took time, took a lot of patience, but we got back in the orphanage, and my relationship with the orphanage director, who I viewed as an enemy, slowly became someone I cared for deeply. And in our last visit to Ukraine, she was sharing with me about losing her husband in tears as I got to pray for her. Because God's story isn't done. He uses those hard seasons, he uses the difficult seasons to bring out something beautiful. And so I hope you're truly encouraged by the stories you hear today, but don't diminish the story that God is writing in your life and what season he has you in right now. Challenge yourself to think of how you can bring that rhythm of remembrance into your daily life and into your yearly life. What does that look like so you can be encouraged by what God is doing because he's not finished. He has so much more left. So I want to thank you for a chance to come up and share. Um, I want to pray for us before we move into baptisms and you get a chance to hear those stories. So if you'd bow your heads with me.